and uh, we will start in 1 Timothy chapter 6. We have a number of scriptures we're going to look at tonight. I'll tell you that up front. We're going to teach on avoiding divisive people, you know, how to, how to handle them, how they act, what are the characteristics of them. Some of you may even be sliding down further away from the person next to you, see. But in 1 Timothy chapter 6, I want to read verse 20 and 21, and then we'll pray. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 20 and 21. O Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust, avoiding profane and vain babblings and oppositions of science falsely so called, which some professing have erred concerning the faith. So let's have a word of prayer. Father, we are happy to be able to fellowship again. We want to remember our county in the middle of everything taking place. We pray for those that uh, are believed to have this coronavirus. We pray for their healing. Uh, during this time, we pray that your name would be glorified in their lives, that they'd come to know who you are as their Savior. Minister to them, surround them with people that love you. And Lord, tonight as we break the bread of life, speak to our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. First Timothy is one of Paul's letters to a son in the faith. This young man had been left in Ephesus to pastor a church that had a good many people there. The church in Ephesus, according to Acts 19, was born through the power of the gospel, through miracles, signs, and wonders. Great things occurred. Paul felt the need to encourage Timothy in how to establish the government of the church and then all kinds of other suggestions about living the Christian life. He comes to the conclusion of the letter in chapter 6, beginning with verse 11, by telling him to fight the good fight of faith, believing and trusting God no matter what kind of opposition comes his way. But he also told him in verse 20, to keep what's been committed to him. Now, what was committed to him? The gospel, or sound words, Bible teaching. Uh, we, we don't want to be under the impression that when he says keep what's committed to him, that Timothy wouldn't have understood the, the statement. Timothy knew exactly what Paul would have been referring to. But when it talks about the avoidance, avoidance of things, Things that are profane are things that are secular or essentially unholy. Maybe I shouldn't say secular, but strictly unholy. That profane your lifestyle. That profane your thinking. Vain babblings are just people just talking and not making a whole lot of sense. A lot of rambling and things of, of that nature. And then the oppositions of science, of course, even in ancient times, you had people that called themselves scientists. Now, we know in English... Our English word science is merely a uh, transliterated form of the Latin word that means knowledge. So science, of course, comprises a number of different bodies of information and knowledge. So when people talk about biology, you're talking about the study of life. When people talk about geology, 
You're talking about knowledge regarding the earth and so on and so forth. So you can see then in verse 20, Paul, he's a bit skeptical about some of the issues related to that. You know, scientists say a lot of things, but you know as well as I do, science changes all the time. And all it is, is based upon a hypothesis or guess or some kind of speculation. And they, they can't always deal in fact, but they deal with approximations, approximations to the truth. Not necessarily be accurate, but they try to come as close as they can. So years ago, when people used to say smoking wasn't too bad for you, that's why you can look at a lot of films from the 50s and 60s, and everybody had a cigarette in their fingers. People didn't think it was that bad of a deal, but now it's hard to find somebody with a cigarette in their hands on television unless it's a modern film about the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, or 90s. You, you think about how sometimes they'll uh, tell you that a certain medicine is bad for you. And then somebody else come along and tell you that it's good for you. We've seen the same things in, in recent times when this virus broke out, of course, one of the things they told everybody was masks won't do you any good. So don't put one on. But now it's mandatory in a lot of different places. So people can't always get along with what is accurate but Paul is speaking specifically about the kinds of science that are going to lead you away from your faith in God. So verse 21, he says, people who professed some of these things connected with science have erred concerning the faith. Now you, you really think about that. What, what kinds of things have misled people and took them away from a faith in God? Well, evolution did that. Back in the 19th century, there are a whole lot of people that bought into Darwin's theory regarding the origin of the species of man. Now, I've read some of Darwin's letters, and he never, ever said he didn't believe there was a God. He just simply said that if there is one, after he made everything, he didn't need to do anything else with it. That's what he was saying. But the idea that Somebody would go to some islands and see an old turtle somewhere and then say, well, mankind obviously has evolved from this into that. That has taken away the faith of a lot of people, a lot of people, to believe that mankind originally came from some kind of a monkey some scientists say it all originated from a fish. Other ones I've seen even try to say that the, the, uh, the panda bear and other kind of animals that have fingers with a thumb or something that faces the fingers that we're probably, we've come from them. Those are the kinds of teachings that have caused people to stray from the truth of the creation story as given to us in Genesis. So I'm just going to stay with the book. I'm just going to stay with the book. And, and, and if we stay with the book, then we don't get into trouble. The reason I know that, Jesus quotes the story of Adam and Eve. So he believed in it. He says in Matthew 19, you've heard that it was said in the beginning. You know? Then he goes on to talk about, did not God make a male and female? And then Jesus said in Matthew 24, regarding the days of Noah, as it was then, it'll be that way in the last days. So Jesus believed in the flood story. 
And of course he believed in Abraham because he talks about us sitting down at the table in the kingdom of God one day with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We know he believed in David. He was called the son of David. So if he believed in the scriptural teachings, we should do so also even when people are saying, I'm not sure we can trust everything that's in the Bible. You know, so, so folks that say to me, well, you know, Pastor Darrell, what about that, that whole big fish story with Jonah? You know, people tell fish tales all the time. I mean, do you really believe that that big fish swallowed Jonah? And I've told you before, if this book would have said Jonah swallowed the big fish, I'd be preaching that. <laughs> yeah, I'd be preaching that. So let's, let's stick with the scriptures because there are always people who try to come to sow discord and strife and unbelief in your heart. And as Paul says to his son Timothy, they have erred concerning the faith. They don't even believe properly anymore. And the sad thing is they embrace these teachings and don't realize they're, they're, they're off, the, off the beaten path. Now let's go now to Romans chapter 16 and let's look at something else. Romans 16. And I'm going to begin reading with verse 17. Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses, contrary to the doctrine which you have learned, and avoid them. That's Romans chapter 16, verse 17. For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. So notice in verse 17, he says, mark those kinds of people. The only way you can mark them, you've got to beware of them. The only way you can beware of them, you have to pay attention to the people that are around you. Now, Paul says it this way with the Thessalonians, know those who labor among you. So you get to know the people you worship with. Get to know the people that you spend time with in the kingdom of God. Get to know other people who call themselves Christians and are becoming connected with you. You need to know what kind of character they have. And if he says, mark them, which cause divisions, that means divisions are apparent. He could see them then. You get a few people together and everybody's going to have some thoughts that are similar, but there'll be a few things that may be different, but you got to be careful about how you handle diversities of opinions. Because when, when people don't get along as they should, then this is when the strife breaks out, and this is when you have the church splits, and this is when families fall apart, and things of that nature. So Paul says you pay attention to those who are the creators of division. Now, if you have three people worshiping together and they're reading the Bible, then questions are going to come up. Okay, well, what's the correct way to baptize? See, that, that'll, that'll come up. You know, do, do, we, do we baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, or do we just baptize in Jesus' name? Do we baptize them face down, or do we baptize them in the back first? Do, 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 do we sprinkle do we pour? Do we dunk? And so you end up going through all of that. And there's been a whole lot of uh, churches and relationships that have been split over that. When we're trying to describe salvation, did Jesus die on the cross for everyone? And since he died for everyone, does that mean everybody automatically goes to heaven? 
or the Jesus down across with everybody, but everybody has to place their faith in Jesus Christ. Or did Jesus die on the cross just for the church? And there's only a small select few that have been predestined to go to heaven and everybody else is going to burn. So there's always division and disagreement regarding certain things. But in your own relationships and in your own fellowship, Paul says, mark them that are causing division. So you've got to know when someone genuinely has a heart to ask questions to learn or somebody's just trying to create havoc. And there are people who will definitely try to get involved with a place or a people in order to create all kinds of offense. So Paul speaks of the doctrine which you have learned. The reason we have Bible studies and do them as we do is so that we can go through the scriptures and see what the word teaches reason we have Sunday services is so that the word of God can be announced and proclaimed and people can know what the first century church believed. And to be quite honest with you, I'm more interested in what they believed in the book of Acts and in the epistles than I am in the modern church beliefs. I really am. Because if, if, if I just simply followed the established church beliefs, then of course then I'm going to have to start thinking about the Anglican Church, which claims to go all the way back to the apostles. Then I've got to think about the Roman Catholic Church, that claims to go back to the apostles. Then I have to think about the Coptic Church, the Nestorian Church in Iraq and over in Iran. They claim to go back to those same apostles. And let's not forget the Greek Orthodox Church, who split from the Catholic Church because the Greek Orthodox Church said that the Roman Catholic Church went apostate, so that's why they had their split, and they claimed to go back to the apostles. And then when the Reformation broke out, quite naturally, the Catholics weren't happy because they said now, because of the teaching of the Reformers who say everybody should read the Bible on their own, every man or woman becomes their own pope. And they all believe they know the Bible. And so out of the Reformation, look how many different groups that develop Baptists, Mennonites, and Presbyterians, and things of that nature. By the time we get to the 18th century, you've got John Wesley establishing the Methodist Church. Out of the Methodist movement in the 19th century came all kinds of holiness churches. Fire baptized churches ended up with Wesleyan Methodist, African Methodist. Episcopal Church, and then when we get to the end of it, coming all the way into the, the beginning of the 20th century, then we have so many Pentecostal denominations. Now, I don't doubt that in all the different churches that I've preached, all of them will tell you, what we believe is the Bible. Because if somebody asks me, I tell them the same thing. And when the old churches of Christ used to meet, they didn't even have a what we believe statement. If you ask them what they believe, they just handed you a Bible. And they said, this is what we believe. But, but here's the point, though. The more you dig into all of us, the more you dig into different movements, you see how far we really are from the first century church. These were just people just met in a home and loved God and worshipped the king. And pretty soon everything developed where you had to have ornate buildings and all kinds of elaborate dress for preachers. Wouldn't you love to see me in a robe? 
Wouldn't you just love that? You just love that. I just came in here with a robe and some kind of cossack around my neck or something like that. You'd absolutely love that. No, you'd get up and walk out. I know that's what, what you do. But, but all, all of that, the trappings of all of that, is as beautiful and as attractive as those things are, they don't have any basis in the New Testament church. You can find it in the Old Testament with the priests. But as a Christian now, we don't want to split hairs over something like that. You know, absolutely not. Sometimes when I go and have to be with people of other denominations, I do have one of them little things you put in your collar there that people wear. I've got one of them I put on every now and then. I think I've even worn one around here before and preached before on a, on a Sunday. But I've never enjoyed the whole costume party thing as a minister. I, I, th- I think that if, if we just come to church and worship the king and put Jesus first, then that's the best thing we could ever do. That's the best thing we could ever do. But people who want to argue and fight and strive with you over things like that, I'd avoid them. Yeah, I'd avoid them. Uh, I, I don't want that kind of division in the church. Now, I want to give you a couple of examples in the Bible and go to Acts chapter 15. And I want to show you how this, how this operates. Acts chapter 15. Look at verse number one. Certain men came from Judea and taught the brethren and said, Except ye be circumcised after the manner of Moses, you can't be saved. Now, this is long after Calvary, long after people have become born again. Yet there's a group of people who've come into the church and they've taught you can be saved, but you must do this in order to be saved and you must do that. So you just can't trust in Jesus. That's not enough. You must do something in addition in order to be acceptable to God. And I want you to understand that's that's wrong. That's not true. If you repent of your sins and accept Christ as your Savior, and the mighty power of the Holy Ghost comes in and regenerates you, you're saved. You do not have to go after some other physical act. In the Old Testament, only men could be circumcised. But according to Paul in Romans chapter 2, we are all circumcised in our hearts once we believe. So why would we then tell men that the only way you're acceptable to God and to Christ is if you're saved by being circumcised. Well, these people didn't want to turn their back on their traditions, and traditions are hard to walk away from, especially if you believe those traditions are attached to salvation. I'm not trying to be mean or harsh, but I just want you to see this in a different light. But when you, anytime you attach and act in a church, With salvation, people can become deceived, sometimes disheartened about what is true, what is false. I had a a gentleman one time who led to the Lord, and it was going to be his first time coming into a Protestant church to do worship with us because he had been Catholic. And I and I asked him what what it was that finally pushed him over the edge that caused him to move away from Catholicism to even want to come out to us because he called me to his house to speak with him. And he told me, he said, all my life growing up, so I've been the first 65, 70 years of his life, all my life growing up I was told by the church that this was wrong and it was a sin. 
And said, then about two years ago, he, this is 15 years ago, so he's telling me this. He said, then a couple of years ago, then the Pope comes out and says, this is now lawful. So he said, now, either it was wrong then or it's wrong now. So one little statement like that shook his entire faith entirely. And so we, we explained to him about the cross, the blood, Jesus' death on the cross, and a man came to find assurance when he realized I can rest comfortably in what he did for me and not what I'm doing. So I don't have to make sure I get to mass or communion two or three times a week in the morning in order to maintain my salvation. I'm right with God, you know. And then a, a, another situation one time, I remember a young couple and they had come to me and they said, well, uh, Pastor, we had this situation and our kid was born. They were raised in the Lutheran church. And he said, our baby was born. And, <clears throat> and so our, the grandparents, our parents were on us about getting the child baptized. I said, well, what was the, the big deal about getting the child sprinkled? They said, well, the, our grandmother was saying we, we don't want the baby to die without having been baptized. Because if the baby dies without baptism, the baby will be lost. I said, really? I said, what, what did you do? They, they said, well, we, you know, just because we didn't want uh, grandma and them worried and everything like that, uh, they said they, they went on and had the baby baptized. I said, well, did you believe in that? They said, no. They said, I said, what do you believe? They told me cross, blood, salvation, all that. I said, well, then you believe in grandma more than you believe in God. Yeah. Because if you know that in your conscience you didn't need to do that, then why then would you do that? See, it's different if, if in your, your mind you don't have a problem with that. But if in your heart you know that the blood of Jesus and the cross is sufficient, why would you do it, you see? Well, if, if, if we look here, imagine if, if, if pastor were to say, I want to meet with all the men after church, and you ladies, you can head home. But I want to talk to the guys privately a little bit. And then I pull them aside and I say, you know, this whole salvation thing is pretty good. But I think all of us should go ahead and be circumcised. Because not only is it healthy for us to do that, but I think God would be pleased. I think everybody in here would say there's no need to do that. There's no, no need to do that. And if we understand that, if someone comes to us then remember, there is strife, there is discord, there is unbelief, there is confusion that could be sown in your heart, even if it's a person that you like. Some of these people who showed up in the church, I guarantee you they knew people in the church. Yeah. Years ago, I had a man visit this Bible study, and he and I got into, got into it out there on that, that uh, sidewalk out there, because he was in here with some little weird teaching, and somebody called me in the back and asked me if I'd come listen to it, and I'd listen to what he said, and we went out there, and he's trying to tell me that, that uh, Eve, when it says Eve listened to the serpent and was deceived, that what that really meant in the Hebrew was that Eve actually uh, copulated with the serpent, and that Cain was a product of that physical intercourse. And so you, you can imagine the shouting match out there, on that, on that sidewalk as I was letting him know he did not need to come back here again, you see. But, but he, here's the point. P people like that will try to come in 
to sow division and unbelief. And sometimes if people don't know better, it might even make sense. See, just because it starts making sense, that doesn't necessarily mean it's biblical. You know, and we have to know the book and stay with the book in order to keep from being deceived. Tiffany and I had a man one time who became a good friend of ours, but we had a good Good talk with him to make sure he didn't spread any of this weird stuff. But he had this belief concerning William Branham. I don't know if you've ever heard of him. William Branham was a very popular preacher back in the late 40s, 50s, and 60s. A tremendous ministry with the word of knowledge. I mean, he's one of these guys that in a, in a, in a crowd of 2,000, 3,000, 4,000 people, he, he could stand and point. And he could, somebody have a cancer. He didn't even have to see it visible. He just knew it was there. He'd tell him if you reach for it, that cancer's gone. And you knew something was happening because people were crying out and screaming and healings were taking place. He'd bring blind people up on the stage in front of everybody and their eyes would be open. Deaf ears would be unstopped. Got it all on record and on every kind of video you can think of. But he, he picked up this little teaching where People were praising him so much, he began to believe he was the Elijah to come and started teaching that he was the forerunner of the Lord Jesus Christ. When he died, they did not even bury him immediately. They thought he was going to be raised from the dead on the third day. They kept his body lying in state for more than six weeks. Then afterwards, some of his keenest followers went through all of the old wire recordings they could find, and they took all of the notes from what he had said in the recordings. There were literally thousands of them, and they created a Branham Bible. You can still find some of those folks over in Indiana to this day. See? Now think about that. Somebody can start off okay. And then, because of too much praise, and because of indoctrination with a bad teaching, accept that teaching, and not only die believing something that's false, but leave behind people that continue to believe what is untrue. Yeah, it's the story of the history of the world, folks. Why do you think we have Mormons on planet Earth, and Jehovah's Witnesses, and, and Muslims, and all of that, that kind of a thing? But let me give you another one. Let's go to Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2. We're talking about the avoidance of divisive people. Well, you've got to, you have to understand what it is that attacks the peace of God in your life. You need to know what is right and what is wrong in order to be able to judge what is wrong and avoid it altogether. Galatians 2. Notice verse 11. When Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood him to the face, because he was to be blamed. For before that certain came from James, he ate with the Gentiles, but when they were come, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing them that were of the circumcision. So let me give you some context. It was a great revival taking place in the Antioch church. This is the same church that sent out Paul and Barnabas. Good things were happening. The grace of God was upon these people, Barnabas had gone up there and saw that the hand of the Lord was working with these people. 
And Peter, he came up there on the visit one time, and he was sitting down with all of these non-ethnic Jews and these Gentile background believers, and he was having meals with them and having a good time. And then all of a sudden, when some of the other believers from Jerusalem made their way up there, then all of a sudden, Peter kind of shrunk back, and he thought, well, I don't want these people to know I'm sitting here eating with these unclean Gentiles, because they'll probably be offended by the fact that I, as a Jew, am sitting here with these non-Jewish people, so he just kind of avoided them. So what do you think the Gentiles felt like? They didn't feel good. But it, it shows you something, though. It shows you how powerful tradition is. Jewish tradition, after Calvary, was still very strong in the region. Jewish tradition in the life of Peter after his conversion is still strong in his life. And he's not even in Palestine now or Israel. He's in Antioch now. He's way up north in Syria, and he is still under the influence of Jewish tradition and the geography has changed. So folks, that's, that's, that's powerful to think about that. Uh, some traditions people have They'll hold on to them because those traditions won't let them go. And, and this is why all around the world you can find people turning to Mecca and putting a, a rug down and praying in the direction of Mecca as a Muslim because that's the tradition. Doesn't matter where you go on planet Earth, you maintain that tradition. When Daniel was in Babylon and the people were looking to find fault with him, he went to pray. And you know what he did? He faced Jerusalem. He wanted to pray towards the, the holy city is what he did. Now, there was nothing in the Old Testament law said when you pray, you got to pray towards Jerusalem. But he wanted to pray towards Jerusalem. So then Paul, he faces up to Peter's hypocrisy and says what you did was wrong. And Paul goes so far as to say he was to be blamed. So now you can see that even a Christian can inspire discord in a church. A Christian. He was to be blamed. Um, to, to say somebody's blameworthy is to assign guilt. And we don't like guilt today. We have a culture that doesn't like guilt. In fact, we, we, we have a, a don't blame the victim culture today because we don't want anybody to ever feel bad. And if you talk to uh, some psychologist, probably not the one on the front row here, but if you, you talk to some psychologists, then you, you're probably not going to hear a whole lot about sin and guilt when you're having to sit down with them on a chair because everything has, has moved totally away from that, especially if it doesn't have a connection with the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible shows us that man was born in sin and shaped in iniquity. Man is not as depraved as he could be, but man certainly is depraved. And nobody knows the depth of sin in your heart and my heart like God does. And all it takes is the right temptation to bring it out. David never knew he was an adulterer until he found the right woman that could bring it out of him. It was always there. He just needed a Bathsheba in order for it to come into manifestation, and he refused to restrain himself, so it came out. Now, who else would be to blame other than David? When God sent the prophet Nathan to David, the prophet Nathan told David, you are the man to blame. But today, we, we, we have a culture where nobody is uh, guilty of anything. 
If you fall in love with the wrong person, it doesn't matter. You shouldn't feel bad about it. We don't want you to feel guilty about it. If, if, you, uh, if, if, you, if you go and uh, burn down some buildings and you make uh, people go bankrupt overnight because of an incident that took place in another state that was bad, then, you know, you just got to give people an opportunity to vent their rage and their anger. You don't want people to feel bad. If, uh, if, if everybody else is told they can't meet in church and they can't do this and they can't do that and they can't go to the grocery store, you get masses of people out in the streets marching together who don't have masks on and you don't want to make them feel bad so you, you know you don't say anything. So we have a culture that doesn't like blame. Hollywood is exactly that way. The entire culture, three-way relationships, open marriages, drug use. You use marijuana, used to be bad. Now it's commendable. Pretty good if you use it. Other drugs, heroin, cocaine, give it time. They'll find a medical use for it, and then they'll say it's okay to use it. The whole point I'm getting at is that we have a culture today that doesn't like to assign blame, and if we don't assign any kind of blame, we don't acknowledge anything is wrong. If we don't acknowledge anything's wrong, we're not saying that there's a sin, so we can't deal with the avoidance of strife and discord because nobody's ever wrong. Every teaching is right. You believe may be right for you, may not be right for me, but that doesn't necessarily make it wrong. And this is the culture that we live in right now, and it's in the church. And if somebody doesn't open up their mouth and deal with it face to face and say hypocrisy is still a sin, then we'll have more of this. So here's what happened. Verse 13, the Jews dissembled likewise with him insomuch that Barnabas was carried away with the dissimulation or the hypocrisy. Barnabas was Paul's mentor. Barnabas was the one that believed in Paul when nobody else believed in him. He's the one that went and got Paul and brought Paul to the apostles and gave him access. And when Paul went back to Tarsus, his hometown, Barnabas is the one that went and got him and said, look, God is moving in Antioch. I think if we go as a team, great things will happen. And he brought Paul there, introduced him to all of these people. But now you can see that even your mentor sometime can go in the wrong direction. No one is outside of the bounds of deception. Jesus said, if it's possible in the last days, even the elect will be deceived. That's why I need you to pray for me. Pray for Tiff. Pray for us who teach the, teach the word. Anybody can, can be deceived. And what makes it so bad is the whole time you're moving in the deception, you actually think you're moving in truth. Yeah, you think you're in the truth. So verse 14, but when I saw that they didn't walk Uprightly according to the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in front of all of them, if you, being a Jew, live after the man of the Gentiles, but not as a Jew, why are you compelling the Gentiles to live as do the Jews? He's saying, why don't you live the message you preach? That's what he's saying. Why are you asking them to do something that's contrary to everything we teach? If the gospel says that we can have fellowship with everyone, who comes to know Jesus from whatever country or state. Why are you acting funny about that? Yeah. So for us, it's not a problem for us. We, we, we love each other. We don't have difficulties. But do you realize that in, uh, amongst some Arab believers, I've been in the room before when we met 
and a Muslim convert to Christianity, a Muslim background believer, came to the Bible study, and the Arab Christians got nervous and really didn't want to have anything to do with the Muslim convert because they didn't know him, didn't know anything about his background, didn't know what his tribe was, didn't know if he was genuinely a Christian. So if you're a new convert coming in and the church people treat you like that, then you're thinking, then why in the world do I even need to be a Christian? What's the point of all of this if we're not a family? In some parts of Africa, if you are of the wrong tribe, people don't want to have anything to do with you. They don't want to have anything to do with you. They won't come to your church, and they'll all be claiming to be Christian. But they don't want to enter a facility that's from a, a specific tribe. It's bad. Uh, places in Central Asia, the Far East, where you have... Uh, tribalism over there that's every bit as rife and strong as it is in Africa and other places. If your family name isn't this or that, they don't want to have any contact with you. It's kind of like going to New England where over New England states where you got people connected with old money. Been in the Anglican church or some other Unitarian church or something like that. And then here you come along and you, you go to some independent church and you love the Lord and you fall in love with the daughter of somebody who's a millionaire family. Nothing but difficulties you'll have. But everybody claims to be Christian. So what Peter did here wasn't good at all, at all. Let me give you one more real quick. Like Go to 3 John, 3 John, all the way back there by the book of Revelation. 3 John, and look at... Verse number nine, this is John writing to his children in the faith. In verse nine, I wrote to the church, but Diotrophus, who loves to have the preeminence among them, did not receive us. Wherefore, if I come, I will remember his deeds, which he doeth, prating against us with malicious words and not content therewith. Neither does he himself receive the brethren and forbids them that would and cast them out of the church. Now imagine that kind of manipulation and control. Here are people connected with John the Apostle, connected with true believers, coming to another church, and because this gentleman doesn't like John and the ones connected with him, he says, if any of you come to this church, I'll kick you out of it. It's like what happened in the Gospels when the people were telling the folks, if you follow Jesus, we'll kick you out of the synagogue. You, you wouldn't think this kind of stuff goes on today, but you'd be surprised how much manipulation there is in some fellowships behind closed doors. If you don't toe the line and act a certain way, they'll give you the left foot of fellowship and tell you to leave. Now, this man was just evil, but yet he was in power. He, he shouldn't have been in power, but he was in power. And, and sometimes people end up in powerful positions because of the wrong, the wrong reason. You know, there, there are some churches that every... I don't know how they do it. Every year, every two years, or every three years, or something like that, the board changes or something like that. And if you own a gas station, got a little bit of money, they put you on the board or something. Or, and then when somebody's assignment is up, then, then maybe they throw somebody else on the board. And they're usually looking for a young couple. So a young couple start coming to church. And once they've been there about, oh, let's say three days, then they put them on the board. <laughs> and, and, and the young... I've had them come to me before going to other churches, and they've said to me, I, I don't even know anything about any of this. I just got in here. And they put me on the board, and they're asking me to be in charge of this and that. 
Folks, this it's a disaster to do things that way. This man had power that went to his head, and with terrible language, he attacked the true Christians. And our words say a lot about who we are as Christians. This man sowed the kind of strife in the church that probably divided the church into different sides. You know, side with this one, side with that one. Got to be very careful about that. When, when people in the community come to you and they want to speak evil to you about somebody you worship with, then you have to start asking some basic questions to yourself. Okay, number one, what's the objective here? What's the objective here? Because if, if the person is actually guilty and it's something I need to know, then I'm probably going to have to listen. But is this person just trying to slander this person? Is this person jealous of this person? You've got to figure all that out inside of 30 seconds when you're, when you're talking and you're listening to people. Because through the years, I've, I've had people come up to me and say, say things like, does so-and-so go uh, to, to your fellowship? And I say, yeah, they, they, they go uh, to the fellowship. And then they'll launch into this and that and, and uh, saying stuff that just, just really isn't nice. And just right in the middle of the conversation, I just turn and walk away. Or says, me standing there, let's, you say, how can you do that? That's disrespectful. Well, I mean, what's, what's worse, uh, a long tongue or a big ear? See, so I, I, I just I just turn and walk away. And, so, and every now and then, if I stand there long enough I, and I remember, then I'll, I'll say something like this. I'll say, I am so sorry. Please forgive me. Please forgive me. And they say, oh, oh what's wrong? What, 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 what did you do, Pastor? I said, what, I said what, is, what did I ever do? Have I robbed you? Did I steal something from me? What kind of offense did I ever create in your life that would cause you to believe that I would stand here and let you speak evil of one of my church people? What have I done cause you to believe that I stand here and listen to that? You say whatever you want, but I'm telling you, I love Ireland no matter what you say. <laughs> Amen. But these are just a few things to think about as, as we think about people who try to sow division and strife. Where, where does your faith really lie when you think about your salvation and you think about your relationship with God? Is it, is it solely in the cross of Christ? Or are you still kind of relying on something that happened to you as a kid or something you may need to do right now? If you know that that blood avails for you today, then you can sleep good every night you put that head on the pillow. I have no doubt when I go to sleep tonight, if I drew my last breath, I'm waking up in heaven. I, I know that because that's what the scripture teaches. But if I was under the impression that the only way I'm going to get there is I've got to bake a few cakes and do some nice deeds for people. I'd never sleep again because I'd try to do something nice every 30 seconds. Yeah. But our salvation isn't tied up in that. It's tied up in what Christ did. Amen? Amen. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we're grateful. We are so happy that your word is truth. And Lord, if we said anything tonight had offended anybody, that certainly was not our, our desire, but we're certainly looking clarity and I pray for all of us that we continue to grow in grace and in knowledge and walk in truth. We're, we're homeward bound, Lord, and
And we expect one day to see you. We're so grateful in Jesus' mighty name. Amen, amen, amen.